Welcome to UCYP, where we have uphill conversations with young professionals. Real conversations with bright, forward-thinking YPs. You know, every generation is different than those who've come before. And rather than generalities, we want to hear unique, individual perspectives of the generation that's currently on the rise. We want to elevate the voices, talent, and contributions of YPs in order to build a bridge to connect the past, present, and future generations, helping them to be heard, to be understood, and ultimately, to see them lead. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of UCYP, our podcast with young professionals. These are movers and shakers, getting things done. What's up, Megan? Not much, man. So let's just jump right in and tell everybody November 4th is our workshop in Green Vegas. (laughs) That's Greenville, South Carolina, (laughs) for those of you who don't know anything (laughs) about Green Vegas. All the surrounding areas, like Simple Vegas, we have all the Vegas. Sparkle City. Sparkle City, Vegas. (laughs) Anderson, Vegas. A Vegas? A Vegas. <laughs> no one, no so, one's ever nobody, called that that. Yeah, never. Just come to Greenville. <laughs> Just come to Greenville. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so put your dream to the test. Yeah. This is, we've been working on it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my um, mentors, uh, John Maxwell, um, as a certified coach, um, one of the things that we have is the privilege to take some great works that he has and then train people with it. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to put this to work. And um, we're focusing on young professionals right now, and it's literally literally going to help them with 10 powerful questions Mm -hmm. to get them on the path um, to maybe reigniting their dream, discovering their dream, Mm -hmm. finding out their dreams really theirs. Um, and then giving them some tools and tips and some some kind of mastermind opportunities to really get on that path to mm-hmm. pursuing it because this is the time to start. You know, you can't wait until later, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's never too late to get your dream going, but, man, if you can do it now, you know, this would be the time. Yeah, and I think a lot of young professionals, you, you go out on a path based on what you're taught when you're young, and so you might get into a career, and you may have been doing it a long time, and you reach a point where you you start thinking back to those dreams that you had or maybe some other things that you want to do. And so I think that this is going to be a great workshop for people to gain some clarity around uh, where they really want to be putting their energy and their effort. Right. And it's going to be Saturday, November the 4th from 8.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. We're going to have a little morning snacky snacks, right? And then a little (laughs) break time stuff. But it's just going to be great. And um, if you want to learn more about this workshop, if you're in our area, which we would tell you it is very worth it, and there's a limit. We're capping it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're a number 30 people. 30 people is the cap. So we're going to make it very intimate. We don't want anyone getting lost in the shuffle. So um, if you want to know more about it, go to, now this is what's going to be strange, go to our company website, or sorry, our company Facebook page, Uphill Strategies. Mm-hmm. And you will see um, a post there you can click on. It'll take you to the event or just under our events. You can click it. Mm-hmm. You will see. Um, and you can get your tickets there or go straight to Eventbrite as well and just search, put your dream to the test or click out of our Facebook over there and you'll see the description, um, what all's involved, what's included and all the good stuff. Just the nuts and bolts will be there. And you can always email us about anything 
um, about the workshop or anything else that you have on your mind about a great guest or a question that we can maybe help you with, you can email me, Tim, at uphillconversations.co or Megan at uphillconversations.co. So we hope you'll check it out and we would love to see you there. Mm -hmm. And a special shout out to our venue sponsor, The Collective at Society Hall. It's in the West End of Greenville. Uh, They are helping to put this event on with us. And we are so thankful to Mr. Harold Hughes and Ben Moore uh, for their support in getting this first one off the ground. Um, But back to episode 12. Uh, As Tim mentioned, we have a great guest, William Timmons. He is 33 years old. He's an attorney entrepreneur. And he actually became a state senator here in South Carolina at the age of 32. Um, He's a guy. He spent four years as a prosecutor. And as a young professional and as someone who uh, really believes in what a great state we have here, uh, he just found he was frustrated by the inefficiencies in Columbia. And um, he just felt a calling to do something to fix it. So it's just a really cool story of a young professional who uh, is in the midst of trying to create change for the better on a state and local level. And that's the key word, change. A lot of people think young professionals, you know, there's, a, you know, there's this entitlement stuff and, you know, they don't want to do anything. They're all solo. And it, I think the guests that we have prove otherwise. You know, it's I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Uh, by and large. Um, and also when I look at it and I think, you know, he's brave and he's courageous, you know, mm-hmm. just the, from being, you know, prosecutor, entrepreneur and state senator and taking those steps. I know people in my generation who, you know, they'll sit there all day long and talk about everything, you know, but they're not doing anything about it. So it's very exciting to me and encouraging when I can just sit in a room with someone who, you know, has this desire, um, a real um, a spirit and with action, you know, for making moments into movements. Mm-hmm. That is like, um, it's just a wonderful thing. And I mean, really, I was just like, man, this is cool. Like, this is like something that um, I want to see more of, um, not only in my generation, but, you know, the, the new generation and ones behind them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really neat to see uh, William out there really trying to create change through action. And I think um, he's just a great uh, person. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy uh, this interview. So just a reminder to please go out to iTunes and Stitcher and rate and review the show. Make sure that you are sharing it with your other young professional friends and really anyone who could benefit from our one of our main goals to bridge that gap between generations, those ahead and those coming up behind. And please follow us on Twitter at the UCYP and join our Facebook group because we always want to hear from you. And we also have Instagram. So get out there and uh, follow us on Instagram and you can see all the great stuff we're posting there as well. So without any further delay, let's jump into this wonderful interview with William Timmons. Welcome to the show, William Timmons. How is everything going in your world? Well, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You're doing great. So you came uh, from uh, where to come here and talk with us today? So I was at the gym. I own Swamp Rabbit CrossFit. It was uh, one of my 
first businesses I've started, and we're having our five-year anniversary on Saturday. So oh, that's awesome. excited about that. Yeah, so that's kind of a nice work benefit. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. When your job is to stay in shape, it's kind of nice. <laughs> I want that job. How do I get that job? Prioritizing health. and Without, fit- without having to be a member of the NFL, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. I, you know, I could, I could trade, though. They, they get paid a little better than me. <laughs> uh, so for our listeners who don't know uh, who you are, um, William is an attorney, an entrepreneur, and he actually um, is a state senator here in South Carolina. And he became a senator when he was 32 years old. So uh, that is a pretty big accomplishment. So I'm curious, what was it like to be uh, young and in that race? Well, so I was a prosecutor for five years and I was an entrepreneur for probably, I would say, eight. And I was frustrated with government. So I was foolish enough to try to change it. Mm -hmm. And so I ran for uh, the Senate because after some research, I could tie a lot of my problems as a prosecutor and a business owner to inaction and ineffectiveness in the legislature, but particularly in the Senate. So I just said, if you're going to complain about something, and I complained a lot, you got to be willing to do something to try to fix it. So I ran for office and it was pretty overwhelming. Um, But everything that I do in my life, I go all in. And so I went all in and it was uh, successful. So it was an experience. Let's just say that. Okay. And I guess I'm, I'm curious, you know, and not to get in nece- necessarily to the political climate right now, but I would say that a lot of people in the younger generation, we see uh, what's going on at the federal level. And sometimes I think we get so caught up in that that we forget about what's going on locally, uh, you know, regionally, statewide, that probably really impacts us more than things at the federal level. So I guess, what would you say about that, especially to young people who maybe aren't satisfied with what's going on? Well, my campaign slogan when I was running for office was Columbia is broken. And after winning my election and getting to Columbia, if I was going to run again, it would be Columbia is really, really, really broken. <laughs> um, it, it, it really is shocking how ineffective the legislature is in South Carolina. And we have a lot of problems as a state, and there's a lot that can impact the four and a half million people that live in South Carolina. And I'm confident that I can make a substantial impact uh, in the effort of bettering their lives. But I will tell you this you're never going to be, you're never going to have just this profound difference on the life of people in South Carolina. You might raise their taxes a little bit. You might lower them a little bit. You might make their life more efficient by the DMV being better. You might create business-like efficiencies in government that will help South Carolina be more competitive economically and might help us grow. But we're never going to end your life. D.C. can. I mean, D.C. legitimately has the potential, whether it's through war or through I mean, I don't think people understand $20 trillion in debt. You just can't do that. Yeah. And they don't even care. Trump ran against it, and now he just raised the debt ceiling. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just looking around. The credit card runs out eventually. Right. And what's going to happen, I think, is we're going to have war. I mean, because ultimately, if everybody calls our debt and we can't pay it, the the only alternative is to go to war. And 
I don't know. I, I'm just very frustrated with DC because I think it is probably more dysfunctional than Columbia. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot because Columbia is really bad. So, you know, the, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. All the things that you're saying, I, I agree. It's very disappointing. Um, and I'm more of a, I like to see things advance. But even um, growing up, you know, and in, in knowing government and I'm more of a purist for where America, how it was birthed, you know, the power of um knowing that everybody came from, they were immigrants, right? Um, but also the fact that you come through Ellis Island, there should be a process. Like all these things are so, so important, you know? But as a young person, you know, and I am, I don't know, what am I, 12, 13 years your senior, 14 years your senior? I don't know. Somewhere around, I'm 47. Like yeah. So <clears throat> what I love is I like your vision. I like how you have the mentality of like thinking ahead but I could also tell that you have also a foundational thought. Like if you have a broken foundation, you can't do a lot. You know, you, it, it, your foundation has to be intact. It has to be mm-hmm. strong. And you have to undergird it. You have to continue to address it and fix it. And I feel like it's a very brave thing for you to be able to speak this vocally about the things that are that you're passionate about, but also to take a bigger picture. You're not just trying to like when I hear you talk, you're not talking about something that only fits in the interest of what your desire is. I feel like you're giving more of a big picture. You're talking about a global thought. You're thinking of just a nation. What what do you think is the problem when it comes to, and once again, this is not at all despising your youth or your age or anything like that, which I celebrate what you've been able to accomplish, but what, what keeps younger generations from seeing it the way that you see it? What, what do you think are some of the barriers or keeping, you know, keeping them away from getting a big picture mentality, but also understanding that foundation is very important? I mean, does that make sense as a question for you? No, absolutely. So I'd say the biggest problem in, in my perception is the loudest voices are the ones that are heard and repeated. And they're probably the ones that don't have very good ideas. I mean, if mm. you're yelling and screaming anything, as far as I'm concerned, you've already lost. Right. So it doesn't matter what the policy is. There are pros and cons to everything that we do. And as far as I'm concerned, everything should be data-driven. No matter what the policy decision is, if you get good data, you can't dispute if you get indisputable data, you can agree on policy based on that data. Mm. And so, again, it's a lot of hyperbole. It's a lot of misinformation. It's a lot of being loud and saying things that are either misleading or untrue. And then that gets repeated. And our country, we've gotten away from a lot of the foundational principles of our country. I mean, the federal government has expanded it in ways that the founders would have never, ever considered. Right. And, I mean, it doesn't matter what you think about it, but there are policy decisions being made in D.C. that really shouldn't be made that way. And the fact that the Congress can't pass a law on anything. Right. I mean, they, they just passed a law making November some weird disease month. I mean, great. I mean, what is our immigration policy? Yeah. I mean, you know, the the Dreamers issue is very serious. Right. And Trump made a big leap into an area that I don't even think he believes, but 
he did it to try to get Congress to do something because they're supposed to make laws. And when President Obama created this situation with the Dreamers, it, he wasn't supposed to do that. Right. Congress was supposed to. Congress, so right. again, the fact that the Democrats have not broken ranks on anything is just bad. The fact that the Republicans are trying to ram policies that probably adversely affect a, a, an unreasonable number of people is bad. I mean, they need to work together. There's, there's not a... We can't keep thinking in terms of right and left. We need to think in terms of how do we help move the country forward as a whole. Right. I mean, Vegas was what? A couple of, yesterday, two days ago? Yeah. We, we, we all woke up to that. That was incredible. Yeah. And, you know, there's reasonable gun laws that we can have in this country that shouldn't be partisan. But, right. but inevitably, the fight becomes... It, it, it becomes unreasonable on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get nothing done. And then people find position; they yeah. just take a position, and that's where. And once you, once again, it's the framers and our founding fathers. They were not perfect, you know. So I want to say that anyone sure, listening, absolutely, we're not saying they were perfect, right? They were, you know, they're they're flawed human beings too. But I feel like the original intent is so important. You know what I mean? Like intent, the rudiments, the foundational things, and I think that's what you're saying. That's my frustration when I sit with people. And that's why I love hearing you, someone that is a future voice. Um, And with that, though, do you find your voice being someone that's tied to a generation that is being pulled? Like, literally, I mean, I feel like your generation is in a super tug of war. People are trying to constantly pull you one way or the other. Do you feel like it's very... it's do you feel like it's a difficult challenge to share the idea you have of coming together versus choosing a direction left or right? In, in some ways, I, I, in some ways, yes, in some ways, no, I'm in a very unique position. I think that I have a very strong relationship with the people that elected me. I, I think that they trust me to do the right thing no matter what, but I also used my own money to fund my campaign. So I have the benefit of saying, I'm going to do whatever I think is right, and that's it. And the biggest problem in Columbia and in D.C. is conflicts of interest, and Mm -hmm. they're everywhere. They're just everywhere. It doesn't matter who you want to look to. When people enter government, when people enter elected office worth – a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars, their net worth being a hundred two hundred thousand dollars, and leave thirty years later having made a hundred six seventy six thousand dollars a year every year, and that's their only job. And then they retire and they're worth sixty million dollars. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, and I'll tell you what, I love Bill Clinton, and I'm not being partisan, but like they're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. And when he first got elected, he was worth less than a quarter million. So I mean, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not against his success and I actually would have voted for him in the last election over anybody else. (laughs) But, um, we have a, we're in a really strange position as a country. I just don't, I don't think anybody really knows how to process a lot of the things that we are, are faced with. And I think conflicts of interest and knowing that your elected officials are 
doing what's right above all else. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what's right for them, and it, it matters what is the right thing to do, and that is not even considered. Yeah. I mean, in, in the State House in Columbia, in D.C., it doesn't matter what you think. You're going to do what somebody else has told or encouraged you to do. You may not even think of it that way, mm-hmm. but that's just how it works. Mm. So you have been a senator now for almost a year. Um, what has surprised you the most? I would say the level of conflicts of interest and the number of things that people do in the in the state house that are just blatantly illegal. And hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've like said, "You can't do that. That's illegal." And just nobody's looking. No, you know it's weird. Like so, we're yeah. in the middle of a corruption probe in South Carolina. For those of you who don't know, we've had probably five or six legislators get arrested. There'll probably be five or ten more. Um, one of them, and it's it's great. He, it's, so he he made four and a half million dollars off of uh, a company where he was paid to influence the state legislature as a member of the state legislature. So he got an ethics opinion from the House Ethics Commission or the House House Ethics Committee saying that what he was doing was okay, and you could get a second grader that has taken, you know, civics. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, well, you can't do that. But this guy who'd been in office for decades, he makes $4.5 million influencing legislation. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't know how that's complicated. I don't know how that there was never a, a moment where he was like, oh, I shouldn't do this. Yeah. But he did it for a decade, and he got paid a bunch, and it's just... It, they, they forget right and wrong, mm-hmm. and it's systemic, and it's institutional, and I mean, personally, I think it's because people have been there for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, there's five members of the Senate that have been there longer than I've been alive. Um, four of them, my parents had not met when they got elected. Mm. So, I mean... Ah. So, uh, thinking about that, and thinking about how there are people who have been part of the system for such a long time. And I think this is something, that whole idea of change and new perspective and um, people who just do things because, you know, no one, maybe no one's paying attention or because they feel like they've been there for so long they can. So I think you're you're really fortunate because you were in a position where you could figure out how to fund your own campaign. So let's say I'm a young professional or a young person and I'm passionate about creating a change and um, I have some money to get me started, but I have to do fundraising. How do you go about doing that without, like you said, having these conflicts of interest or becoming compromised in a way where you owe people favors? I mean, this is sad. It's virtually impossible. Okay. She can't do it. Um, money is the number one factor in whether someone wins an election. Mm -hmm. I mean, just that's it. I mean, when I ran for office, I had, um, a general consultant, I had a fundraiser, I had a campaign manager, I had three campaign advisors and I had 15 campaign staffers. We knocked on 14,000 doors. We called 30,000 houses. I sent out nine pieces of mail. Mm -hmm. Um, I think by election day, I had touched every person that could conceivably vote for me 20 times. Mm 
Now, granted, I won by 30-something hundred votes against a 37-year incumbent, so I won 65-35. I mean, I didn't need to do all that, mm -hmm. but I think that was an unusual race. When you have an open seat, it's all about name ID, mm -hmm. and it's all about getting your message out, and so often the message is pretty similar. So how do you pick? So then it, it just comes back to hitting the people, making them know why you're running, that you, why you think you do a good job, and getting their support. Um, and again, all of that takes money. And the, the larger the race, the harder it is. Yeah. Um, how, how do you think your background, because obviously before you got into this, you were a, you were a prosecutor, but you've all, you're also an entrepreneur. Um, and I know I actually met you through um, serving on the Red Cross board. So I know that you're very involved uh, in the community. How has your background at as an entrepreneur and um, also in what you, the different services that you've gotten involved in, how's that helped you in office? Being an attorney is critical. I mean, we're writing laws mm -hmm. and words matter. And when you are an attorney, you know how to construct things to where the words mean what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times I've stood up in the Senate and said, you know, Senator, I'm fully in support of what you are saying, but then I will read the legislation and I will say, that's not what this says. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, having that background, having that understanding is extremely important. But at the same time, as a small business owner, I know the struggle. I have lived it. I have breathed it. And so I am always looking out for anything that I can do to help small business owners because small business owners don't have lobbyists. Mm -hmm. I mean, Michelin, BMW, Amazon, Volvo, they have their interests well checked. Um, but inevitably, the legislature, large times not the intent of it is, but they just burden time or money from small businesses. And I mean, even if it's just time, time is money. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really helpful to have both of those backgrounds because um, a lot of people in the legislature don't really have a strong basis from which to do the job that we're tasked with doing. Um, so I, I consider myself very fortunate to have the background that I do. What are What are some ways that you keep yourself grounded you know, because, you know, most people getting thrust up into, especially a, a prominent position or somewhere where, you know, there's more attention there, right? Not everybody can say what you're saying at the age of 30. 32. 32. 33. 33. Oh, there you go. You missed yourself by <laughs> one year. I do okay, it all the time. Start okay. forgetting now. <laughs> Just stay at 32, right? I think Jack Daniels never admitted his age. <laughs> there you go. He said There's he was a, 25 for his entire there life. There you go. There's a reason, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, but most people just, you know, they're not going to be in that spot. But how do you stay grounded? You know, like, and I think it's important, you, you know, Will, William or Will, which would do you think? My mother calls me William. I respond to anything, though. Okay. So, <laughs> so it, you know, so, so how do you stay grounded? Because most people, you know, getting in that spot, you know, it, we, you know you've heard the statement, what, you know, you can't get to the door because your head's too big, right? I, just in communicating with you, I can tell you're not that person. 
But what do you do to ensure that you stay grounded? How can you help our audience of young professionals who are listening to know that don't allow yourself to get to the point where you just you're not grounded. You don't at least you know, you're not connected anymore. You and then you just kind of leave and move into a space of almost feeling elite. I guess remember why you're doing it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm running for, I ran for office and I am serving to help people. I actually think that I can make a difference. I think that I have made a difference only in only a year. I've done a lot of things that have helped a lot of people and I will continue to try to help people, help small business owners, help everybody because ultimately the government is extremely powerful yeah. and it affects your life in so many ways. And if you have people that are not doing it for the right reasons, which I would say that's probably the situation right now. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I agree with that. We get into the situation we're in. So I guess I, I mean, one, it's a great honor to serve and to be able to do this, but it's also a great responsibility because they've put their faith in me and people have supported me. And whether it's with a vote or a campaign contribution or just an email saying, thank you. I mean, right. I am serving and I am helping people. That's what I told them I would do. And that's what I'm doing. And so um, I'm not going to be there forever. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not doing this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I may run for something else at some point and I may serve in, in other capacities because I want to help as many people as I possibly can. And if I can help people in another capacity, I would, but I can guarantee you I will not be in the state Senate for 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> I just won't do it. You're not a, you're not a lifer, huh? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I think they should have term limits. <laughs> so I have a bill for term limits. <laughs> and, well, let me know where I can help sign up on that one because, oh, my God. <laughs> they well, go. I, I've, I've created a little... Uh, it's a diabolical way of getting term limits. So we get paid $10,400 in the Senate or in the legislature. And um, I was foolish enough to say I was going to donate my salary to charity. I remember where I was sitting in the debate and some Senator Fair made some sort of a comment. And my retort was, well, I'm going to donate my Senate salary to charity. And I, I walked out of there. I was like, what did I just say? Yeah, what, did I just <laughs> what did I just do? Uh, but, but, you know, so I can make this bill. Uh, and my proposed legislation creates term limits, which is a constitutional amendment. It's very hard to get passed. But the way that I've gotten it in there is there's another piece of legislation that says if that passes, then everybody gets a pay raise. So the Democrat, a lot of the Democrats just were screaming for a pay raise because it is extremely hard right. to serve getting right. paid. Right. I totally agree with them. Yeah. But the Republicans will get attacked from the right if they allow a pay increase right? because then a Republican's going to say, you voted yourself a pay increase and then you're right. done. Mm -hmm. So what I've crafted allows the, well, the Democrats gets their pay raise and then mm -hmm. they get term limits too, which is like, yeah, it's 12 years. Sure. I don't want to, I'll get paid more. It's fine. But then the Democrat, uh, then the Republicans say, well, I do want a pay raise, but I can't vote for one. But if I vote for this, the retort is I didn't vote myself a pay raise. You did. <laughs> So it's great. It's it's a little devious, diabolical thing. That, Slide of hand. You know? It's like, which cup is the ball under? <laughs> right? But honestly, I think, you know, the amount of money that it would take to give the legislature a pay, pay increase is just inconsequential to the increased caliber of individual you would get in the legislature. That's right. But also, it creates the term limits, which... 
it's really hard to get conflicts of interest quickly. Right. So the longer you're in the legislature, the more you just kind of, they just get their fingers in you a little deeper. And then all of a sudden you've been there for 30 years and you're, making four and a half million dollars in ways you shouldn't. And you're just like, ah, but I thought I was okay. Yeah. And you're like, when you got elected, did you think this was okay? Mm-hmm. Well, no, but no. I've been here for 30 years. So, yeah. no, so I think now it's, it's okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, well, yeah, you know, I can deal with a little bit of just crap on the side of my house. You know what I mean? I used to pressure wash it every day, but you know what? I'm going to yeah. leave the cobwebs and a few yeah. things there. Well, I mean, that's what happens. It's just it, like, it, it gets, leave it there. it's hard to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do the right thing. And doing the right thing has becomes the longer you're in unbelievably subjective. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, there, it is. It's subjective. Um, so it, this can have to do with really anything, um, not necessarily what you're doing now. It, it could be um, your entrepreneurial journey, could be business, could be politics. But uh, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? One piece of advice would be slow down. I mean, I literally have done so many things over the last six years that it's just a blur. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's challenging. It, it affected my health. I actually gained, I gained 25 pounds when I was running for office. Well, that's not true. I lost a bunch of weight when I was running for office. And then when I got to Columbia, I gained a bunch of weight because it's a very poor quality of life. That's great. I, I think slow down to me, it, both of those things, like don't spend money on dumb things. Well, I like the proximity too. Yeah. Just like moving into mm-hmm. your own office, right. having food around. And that's a big conversation that Megan and I talk about yeah. is what are your capacities? You know, mm-hmm. there's an energy capacity. There's a, you know, mental capacity, your creative capacities. And I, I love that. It's a proximity question, mm-hmm. like keeping those things nearby, which is obviously like GE's like Six Sigma. It's like lean processes. So you're literally, it's not like you're getting any more time because you can't create time. You only have 168 hours. What you're saying is making better use of your time and simplifying your life and making a decision. I love that one. That was my favorite. Well, and see, and, and I guess as, <laughs> I love that one. It was great. As a as a fellow, you know, young professional, I really like the slowdown because I have two young kids, uh, started a business, I've moved around to different jobs, I do a lot in the community, and I think sometimes you can get so wrapped up in doing the things that you're doing and trying to move quickly and progress quickly progress quickly that you can forget to enjoy the moment that you're in. Well, and you know, it's funny, I was at the gym an hour ago, and I was talking to a guy who I thought was younger than me, but he's my age, and he was telling me that he hurt his shoulder throwing the football with his son. And I was just like, how old is your son? Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, dude. Because, <laughs> I mean, I thought, he, I thought he was like 28. And yeah. I was like, how can you throw a football with your son and to the degree that you can hurt your shoulder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, and, and his kid was nine, mm-hmm. and wow. he was 33. Uh. And I was just sitting there. I was thinking about how different my life would be if I had a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can promise you I would not have run for office. I can promise you I'd probably not have five different businesses that I'm constantly putting out fires. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing. I mean, you got to think about what you want. You got to think about how you want your life to proceed. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that I have sacrificed having a family up to this point. Now, it's not too late. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I can still get married and have a family, but... 
So people listening, you can go on Facebook. <laughs> There's an eligible bachelor. <laughs> who I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I've been dating a girl for a number of years. And okay, we'll take that gonna, back. She's I'm probably going to kick me to the curb if <laughs> we don't move forward soon. Actually, I know she is. So um, I'll either be engaged or single in January. So. <laughs> oh, <man. sighs> Whoa. <laughs> you heard it first on UCYP, folks. <laughs> Rerun this in uh, January. <laughs> That's great. So what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you? Um, so or my, to check out what you're doing. Just my like contact information is everywhere. Um, my business is TimmonsLLC.com. My political website is VoteTimmons.com. And... Uh, you can come to the gym, Swamp Rabbit CrossFit. I've got all these different things that I do. So if you just Google William Timmons, you'll get my cell phone number one way, or, one way or the other. Oh, yeah. Cell phone number two. It's everywhere. And that is not being said to women who are listening because he's in a relationship. He's committed. He'll find out in January where it goes. Well, and, you know, it was funny. When I was running for office, I gave everybody my cell phone number. Mm -hmm. and, oh, gosh. And that was like my last thing. And I just said, this is my cell phone number. If you ever need me, call me. I get so many weird phone calls. Dude, did you not change your number? Get a no, number? and I'm not going no, to. You have a so buffer phone. It's it's funny. Mick Mulvaney, who was yeah, in who, Congress, he yeah. he um, did the same thing, and he uh, had a little policy. If you called him at a weird hour, he would not. He would wait and call you back at an even weirder hour. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Jerry Seinfeld. Remember, it's like he'd get the <clears> phone. Hello. Yeah. Well, I'm at home. I'm busy right now. Well, how about this? I'll call you back. Like Jerry would say, give me your home number and I'll call you. When are you off work? And the guy didn't want to do it. He goes, good, exactly. That's how I feel. <laughs> Little Seinfeld. That's great. Um, well, William, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and just telling us about all the cool stuff you're doing. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And uh, maybe in a, in a couple years, you'll have me back on. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and we'll be down there visiting you in Columbia. I have some things I need to talk to you about. <laughs> Anytime, you're welcome. <laughs> I need to get on the floor with you. <laughs> well, you have been listening to another episode of UCYP, Uphill Conversations for Young Professionals. Uh, please remember that we have three goals in mind. We want to elevate the voices of young professionals. We want to build a bridge between generations, those coming up and those those who are ahead and we also most of all want to inspire young professionals to lead. <laughs>